Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling, and I'm happy to be with you today as we discuss tax deferral or avoidance. The next in our series on taxes, we've talked about K-1s and depreciation and all sorts of wonderful things. And we still have uh, an episode to come where we talk about the overall benefits to the larger whole of tax policy as it is today. But today we want to talk about tax deferral and a little bit about tax avoidance. Now, I don't know anybody that enjoys paying taxes. I'm sure there's some folks out there but in general, we all would like to pay our fair share and have that be as small a number as possible. One of the benefits of investing in real estate, multifamily real estate in particular, is the tax benefits that we get that you don't get when you buy a stock or a bond or something like that. And so we're going to walk through some of those benefits and how that works and whether they are tax deferral and what that means or tax avoidance. So thank you for joining me. As always, if you have any questions, shoot me an email, pat at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And don't forget to swing by the Learning Center at marapoling.com. Lots of great content for you there. Uh, webinars you can register for uh, in the future, uh, past webinars that are recorded and available on the Multifamily Real Estate channel, and of course, uh, all of the hundreds of uh, podcast episodes that we have now since we are in our eighth season uh, that you can uh, access. Okay, so with that, let's get into it. So tax deferral or tax avoidance, let's, let's put some definition to this. Now, I don't have Merriam-Webster open, and I'm not looking at that. This is the definition that I would offer were somebody to ask me, hey, what, what tax, what's tax deferral? How does that work? So an item that is tax deferral means we get some tax benefit today. So some sort of protection in which we can protect income or generate a loss that potentially I could use to cover other income that comes from another investment, and I'm able to reduce my tax exposure today. It is deferral because I'm gonna have to pay that back. So if I can do something that saves me $10,000 in taxes today, I'm gonna have to pay that tax in the future. All I'm doing is deferring it. Why, Pat, would I want to defer it? If I'm going to pay it anyway, why not just pay it now? And the reason is the time value of those dollars. $10,000 today is not the same purchasing power as $10,000 tomorrow. Another way of looking at that is if I take the $10,000 today that I save and I go put it in the bank, at a very modest rate, say I put it in at 3% or something like that, well, I could have $14,000, $16,000 down the road when it comes time to pay the tax. And I'll pay my $10,000 in tax, but I've got extra money now. 
because I made money by not paying now and paying later. So tax deferral, good, good strategy. Ultimately, it is deferral and you're going to pay the tax. What about tax avoidance? Well, tax avoidance, I would describe as I can either defer a tax exposure, as I was just describing, and then in the future, have some event occur in which that tax is wiped out, that exposure goes away. So I have now fully avoided paying that tax. Or there could be some scenario, some situation in which there is a tax break offered today that is pure avoidance. There is no deferral. There is no, you have to pay this back in the future. And there are examples of that that have happened over time. So let's walk through some of the major tax benefits that we all enjoy by investing in multifamily real estate and talk about whether they're deferral or avoidance and what the mechanism is for how all of that um, works. Okay, let's start with a basic one, operational losses. Now, we invest obviously in investments because we wanna make money on them. And over a period of time, we're extremely confident that multifamily investments are profitable. There are periods of time, most notably during the early ownership phase, where it's possible that from an operational standpoint, you might not make money. And here's what I mean by that is rent comes in from tenants, right? So they pay their rent. Maybe they pay some additional fees. Maybe they, there's a utility reimbursement, something else. But we have money that comes in. And let's just, we're going to make this easy. Let's say we have $100,000 that comes in this period. Typically, we would love to see our operating expenses around half, so maybe $50,000. Maybe our operating expenses are running high. Uh, tax assessments are right now a challenge for the multifamily industry, in particular in some of the markets that we're invested in. So let's say that it's not $50,000 in operating expenses, but it's sixty, sixty-five, maybe even $70,000. Well, now I only have $30,000 in net operating income. And remember, when we've purchased these assets, we've purchased them with some leverage. So now I have a debt service that I have to pay. And my lender is going to have some reserves they want to hold on to, not just for taxes and insurance, but a maintenance reserve. Give me a certain amount of money every month so that I've got money as the lender to make sure you're going to do the repairs you need to to keep the property in shape. Well, what if that was not just 20,000 or 30, what if that was $40,000? Well, now I'm actually upside down. And as I said, that could occur in the very early stages of owning an asset. Generally, you wouldn't wanna be there, but that's possible you could be in that position. So if you have an operating loss, then great, you're gonna have some savings. Now, that's not deferral in the typical sense because there's no guarantee you're going to have profit in the future. But when you have profits in the future, these losses, if you've not used them, can be carried forward to offset those gains in the future. The net net is this, is if over a long period of time, I generated 
$300,000 in taxable income, whether I generated that the same amount every month or it was lumpy where I had months with more, months with less, and maybe even a month where it was negative, net-net, I have $300,000 in gain that I have to pay tax on. And so from that standpoint, it all nets out in the long run. And that's something to keep in mind when we talk about tax deferrals. While we're shuffling some deck chairs around our ship, in the end, we're going to pay tax on how much money we make. The deferral allows us to pay that later, which gives us some benefit, and we're still going to pay that tax. Okay, so that's the first example, not a terribly common one, but one that we wanted to mention. The big one, depreciation. We've talked about this. We had a session on this just a few weeks ago. We are fortunate, uh, and there's a lot of reasons for it. We'll talk about some more of those next week, that we are able to write off the improvements that have been made to our investment and our investment is in the land and improvements mean all the stuff that's on the land. So the foundations, the buildings, the roofs, the mini blinds, the you name it. And we can write that off, that expense. So in the example I gave where we might have 40 or $50,000 in operating income, and then we're going to have some insurance, pardon me, interest that we're going to pay. And we're down to maybe a 10 or $20,000 tax exposure. We might have depreciation of not just five or 10 or 20,000. We might have 30 or 40 or $50,000 in depreciation. So we have a net loss. That loss means we're not paying tax on the profits that we're generating on the cash that's getting generated in the asset. And we may be able to use those elsewhere uh, in our investment funds. As an example, we own a number of properties, total return fund one, as an example, owns seven different assets. Those assets are at different phases of their own life cycle. Some of them are generating big losses. Some are generating smaller losses. Some are actually generating some profits. If you net all that together, we're still in a loss position, which is good from a tax standpoint. So there's a lot of benefit to depreciation. It is tax deferral. And the reason for that is this, is when you depreciate an asset, and by the way, a great opportunity for me to put the caveat in here. We are not tax advisors. This is not tax advice. This is content we're trying to share to educate you about the general methods in which these elements of the tax code work. You absolutely 100% should have a conversation with your tax advisor about how any of this would apply, whether you're making your own investments in a portfolio you own yourself, or whether you're invested with a firm like Mara Polling and you get a K-1 at the end of the year. You wanna understand these elements and your tax advisor is the person to help you do that. When you depreciate an asset, the asset basis goes down in value. So I'm going to make this very simple, not numbers necessarily related to what I was sharing before. But let's say that we bought a piece of property for a million dollars. And out of that, over the first 
number of years, we were able to depreciate it by 400,000. So the asset is now on the books, a $600,000 asset, not a million dollar asset. Well, if we sold it tomorrow, we wouldn't just be subject to the gains above the million, say we sold it for a million five, we wouldn't just be subject to the 500,000, we'd also be subject to the $400,000 in depreciation we took because our building on the books is only worth 600,000. That's how much the basis is. So we're gonna have to pay tax, uh, often called recovery tax, depreciation uh, recovery, we'll pay tax on that depreciation that has to get paid back. Remember what I said, you get a tax benefit today and under tax deferral, we pay that tax in the future. So we get a loss today that allows us to generate cash and maybe take advantage of uh, protecting other income from other investments. And then in the future, we have to pay that back. So if we save $10,000 in taxes today, in the future, when we sell, we've got to pay $10,000 in tax. Now, it's possible that we would pay a different amount, right? The tax rates could have changed. The tax code could have changed. Um, it's also possible that you'd actually pay a little bit more, right? Maybe tax rates went up. You are paying that in the future, and that means you're getting an interest-free loan from Uncle Sam and potentially from your state, depending upon how your state operates. Every state has a slightly different tax code. Some states do not have personal income tax. Uh, some that do uh, treat these gains in, and losses in different ways. So again, great topic to talk about your uh, with your tax advisor. You may know from listening to us that there's a method of extending that deferral when you sell. So the example I just gave, we buy a building for a million dollars, we depreciate it to 600,000, we sell it for a million and a half, and instead of paying all the tax on that exposure, we execute a 1031, a sale exchange in which we buy a new building that's worth a million six or a million eight or some number larger than the million five. And we take all the gain that we have, everything that we receive on the sale of our first building and we roll it into the second. That 1031 allows us to extend that deferral. It potentially also gives us some more depreciation to play with because, again, we're buying a larger asset and we can kick that can down the road. Can you do that indefinitely? Well, if you only do one 1031, at some point in time, you likely get to a place where between your depreciation and your basis and a host of other events, you're going to have tax exposure and you're going to start paying taxes. Now, that's a long way down the road for most investments. The way to truly keep that deferral going is to build what we call a 1031 chain. So that million and a half sale that turns into a million six in new asset grows to 2.2 million. You sell that and purchase another asset for 2.3, and you keep the deferral going. What does that do? That allows us to keep the dollars that we would spend paying the tax 
which we all agree we're going to pay, right? This is deferral. We all agree we're going to pay that tax someday down the road. We're just being allowed to keep those dollars longer. And the longer we keep them, they are invested in the asset. So they not only grow in value, that $10,000 that I didn't have to pay, but it also generates cash, cash flow back to me as the investor. 1031 chains are great. If you look at our two growth fund offerings, Mara Polling Growth Fund 1 and Mara Polling Growth Fund 2, they are structured around 1031 chains, building successive 1031s to defer tax and take advantage of that tax benefit, along with other strategies, to double and double again and double again the initial investments that individuals make in those funds. And if you'd like to learn more about those, you can go to our website or shoot me an email and I'm happy to chat with you about those. Whether it's something you might be interested in investing in or just to learn more about 1031 chains and so on. Now, eventually you sell the one of the assets in that chain, well, now you've got to pay all that tax. And it could be a large amount of tax you're paying. Keep in mind, how much money you've been saving every year by using these methods. When you sell, it all nets out. And if you made, quote unquote, in profit, $100,000, you're going to pay tax on $100,000. All this maneuvering doesn't eliminate the tax you were going to pay. It's simply deferral. It allows you to have losses early and to utilize those to protect your income. Eventually, though, if you received $50,000 in cash over time and your investment grew by $50,000, so you had $100,000 in true gain, you're going to pay tax on $100,000. You're going to pay it as long-term capital gains tax, most likely. And for almost everyone, that's a beneficial rate per se, um, less than um, ideal. So... Um, that's something to, uh, to keep in mind that it is deferral. Now let's talk about tax avoidance. So there are some strategies in which you can avoid this and you just don't ever pay it. And the two that come to mind for me that I would share with you is one, and this is the extremely uncommon version, is from time to time, tax entities, meaning the uh, state that you live in or the federal government may make a short-term change to the tax code in which there is no tax due for certain kinds of events. That could be done on a blanket basis. It also could be done on a targeted basis. There are investments in real estate that can be made in certain areas in which there's no tax ultimately that has to be paid. Um, uh, opportunity zones came out a few years ago like that and have an element of uh, tax protection that is similar to this. So there are ways in which you can avoid taxes and you know you're going to avoid them up front by virtue of how it's structured. It is rare. 
And uh, by the way, this is another point uh, we want to make all the time when we talk about tax. Uh, tax savings, uh, whether it's deferral or avoidance, is one of the wonderful things that we get to do with real estate that we don't do with other asset classes. It's one of the reasons we advocate for everyone to have some real estate, in particular, we think multifamily real estate in their investment portfolio. It's important to keep in mind that tax protections are the, in our uh, estimation, are the cherry on top. They are not the reason to make any individual investment. Individual investments, we believe, should be made based on an understanding of the security and stability of that potential uh, investment over a period of time, as well as what a reasonable estimate is of the cash return and the equity growth that can be expected. If those items meet your criteria, then any tax benefit is just icing on the cake, right? Cherry on top, whatever cliche you want to use. We do not believe it makes sense to make investments heavily focused on taxes. 1031s are great examples. If it comes time to sell an asset because there's lazy equity built up and we're about to potentially get to a place where maybe we'll have some tax exposure and we want to sell via 1031, but we just can't find a quality asset to buy, then either sell and just pay the tax or don't sell and maybe use a refinance to take some of the lazy equity out. We do not believe it makes sense to sell and then buy a poor quality, substandard, again, whatever term you want to use, asset simply to keep the tax deferral going. In the long run, we believe that's a losing strategy from an investment standpoint. So let's say that we want to look now at this other tax avoidance strategy, which is the much more common one, and that is the step up in basis. So when an individual passes away, assets that they own, that they hold title to those assets in a particular manner, and I cannot describe for you that particular manner. You need to talk to two people, your tax advisor and your estate planning attorney. And if you do not have one or either of those, uh, go get one. <laughs> You want to have those folks on your team. They're very, very valuable. And while, yes, they will cost you some money, you will make that money back tenfold, a hundredfold. Uh, it is a wonderful investment. And the reason for that is they can help you structure the way in which you hold these assets so that you are eligible for that step up in basis. What do I mean by a step up in basis? Well, let's go back to the example I gave of that million dollar building that we depreciated to 600,000. And then we sold it for a million five and we began a 1031 chain. We eventually get to a place, and again, I'm just gonna make numbers up. Maybe we eventually get to a place where we're gonna sell, uh, if we, or pardon me, if we sold, we would sell for $5 million. And our basis is back at 600,000, maybe even less. It might be close to zero. So we'd be looking at tax on the entire 5 million. 
keep in mind that includes tax on all that gain that we've deferred. So we've had losses along the way that we've benefited from, and we've been able to defer tax on gain. So it's appropriate that we pay that tax if we sell. And let's say that at that point in time, the individual that owns this investment passes away. They've structured the title correctly in terms of how they hold the asset. So there's a step up in basis. What that means is the basis of that asset now is the value of that asset at the time of their passing. So if it's $5 million, the basis is no longer 600,000. It's now 5 million. And we've wiped out over $4 million in potential tax exposure. Now, as I said, this is a gross oversimplification. You absolutely want to talk to your tax advisor and your estate attorney about how you uh, execute this and what the actual value to you might be. What you can see, though, is now what's been an interest-free loan from the government in terms of not having to pay the tax until later becomes a grant to you, a gift to you, of that full tax amount. Now, we're going to talk next week about how the tax code works, or at least our opinion of it, and how it benefits all of society. We'll also talk about some of the interplay between these kinds of taxes and things like the estate tax. And some of that potentially has a, a role in why the step up in basis exists. So, you could invest in a multifamily real estate asset, either one you own yourself or through an investment like, as I said, one of our growth funds or one of our other long-term funds. And you could benefit from the deferral of tax through 1031s. You could benefit from depreciation, which gives you losses to protect gains and cash that you're receiving early. You could... Uh, do that over and over again, and potentially, depending upon obviously your age and, uh, you know, if you're a, a younger person, right, if you're in your 20s or 30s, you're talking about a very long horizon before a step up in basis hopefully would occur for you. Uh, if you're a little farther down life's tenured path, if you're in your 60s or 70s or 80s, much more likely event uh, that could happen uh, over an investment time horizon. Uh, but something to uh, to keep in mind that that tax avoidance could ultimately be part of the strategy that works best for you. So I hope that this made uh, sense for you and that it added to your understanding of uh, taxes and multifamily real estate. We have one episode in our series left, and that's what we're going to do next week. And this is about how everyone, and we mean everyone, how all of society benefits from the multifamily real estate tax treatment that we get. And that might seem contradictory. Uh, gee, we save all this money on taxes. How is that good for tenants? for homeowners in the community we live in, uh, just how on uh, taxpayers, how does that make sense that that's good for them? Well, we're going to talk about that next week. So if that's a topic of interest to you, make sure you join us. So thanks for being with me this week. And I look forward to having you with us next week on our next episode 
of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Pollock.